today I'm talking with Master of Voice, Sound Healer and Angel Medium, Stuart Pierce. Hello, Stuart. Hello there. How are you? Very good. Good, good. So, so tell me, Stuart, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? I'm a spiritual being on a human journey. Um, that has been that has been well advanced within my consciousness for many years. Uh, I'm chronologically 63, but actually, um, I was awake. I think around my five, six, seventh year, I was aware of the multidimensional universe, aware of the numinous, and so a very part, a very large part of my uh, 3D consciousness is enraptured and um, embraced by the nature of the fact that I'm a soul, a spiritual being on a human journey. Um, you know, then, you, as you very politely have just honoured me by using titles that people have given me, uh, I, the, the, the term Master of Voice was given to me in 3D because at the beginning of the 90s I got involved in a project which was the reconstruction of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre here in London on the site, roughly on the site, where, where it was once placed in 1597. Um, because for many years I, I was an actor, and for many years I trained actors uh, as a voice coach, and uh, specialised in the classics, particularly in the Elizabethan Jacobean theatre. So I was asked to become part of the steering committee for that, and then resided there, as it were, for 12 years as the Master of Voice. So that's where I was, I was given the title, Master of Voice. I suppose it's a sort of statement which suggests that you have you're rather long in the tooth and you have years of accomplishment, you know, because it's derived from the ancient craft skills where uh, young boys would um, go into training at the age of 11 or 14 and they would, um, you know, work with, um, with a journey person who would allow them to fulfill their apprenticeship for about seven years. And if they passed certain tests, tests at the age of seven years, they became a journey person for seven years. And if they passed certain tests after 14 years, there was a possibility of them being trained by a master craftsperson. So it's uh, a, a lovely, slightly archaic, but lovely association with the fact that I have durability and um, I guess that I have, uh, what do we call it, success <laughs> in helping people. I could go on and on and on about who I am in 3D, but I'm much, I'm much more interested in hearing how we can exchange some of the more extraordinary information about the fact that we are spiritual beings on a human journey. And at this time of our lives on this planet, something very radical is taking place as we awaken to our spirit, as we awaken to soul, and thereby release some of the strictures or some of the negative ramifications of our 3D lives, which are, you know, punched full of fear. You were involved in theatre from a very early age. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Well, yeah, I mean, I got involved in theatre straight after high school because uh, it seemed that I was slightly different from everybody else. At least that's what people claimed me as being, um, in the sense of the fact that uh, I, I discovered very early on in life that I couldn't read, so I didn't effectively read until about 15 years of age. Now, I mean, this is all post-war years, the Second World War, and uh, now we know that I have a condition called synesthesia, which is a crossover of the senses, which in many ways is a form of dyslexia, which we have a lot of information about now. Then we had no information. We were just branded stupid or lazy. Um, so, you know, as well as being numerically dyslexic, I found it very difficult to be able to engage in the simple tasks, you know, the three R's, 
um, and and therefore experienced a great deal of um, pollution, contamination, or condemnation from my my taskmasters, you know, the the caregivers, the teachers. Um, and so when I moved into high school, I discovered that many people, when my voice broke, kept saying to me, you have the most amazing voice. There's something about your voice. Have you ever thought of becoming an actor? And of course, you know, in the, in the this was in the 60s. And those post-war years, the 50s and the 60s, there were lots of, um, well, some of the, some of the, the, the um, not brooding talent, but some of the supreme talent that we have around at the moment, Patrick Stewart, Judy Dench, you know, I'm just thinking of some of the English actors um, who have these extraordinary voices. And so it seemed that there was, in the post-war years of, of um, you know, after the trauma of the Second World War, there was uh, a huge uprising in relation to how to substantiate oneself in society by having a very clear delivery in terms of the vocal apparatus of, you know, our being. And, um, you know, what I'm touching into here is that in ancient times, the voice of the human voice was considered to be the, the very core of the human being because it was a way of being able to substantiate the soul made flesh or spirit made flesh. As we read at the beginning of the fourth gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. So there, there's something very mystical within sound, sound being at the core of creation. There's something very mystical about our voices. So I sort of awoke to the possibility of this mysticism. But at the same time, for the first time in my life, I was being celebrated. So I went in the direction of theatre. And hey, you know, for, fortunately, there were something like 50 or 52 repertory theatres still open in the United Kingdom at that time. Today, there are only two, closed mostly by, by the economic cutbacks of Thatcher's government. However, um, you know, there, there, there were many theatres which I were, was able to sort of, as it were, get lost in and learn the craft of the actor. So I worked through the 70s as, as an actor. Um, and that's how I became established. And then at the end of the 70s, I was uh, working in the United States of America, where uh, lamentably I heard that my mother had only three months to live. I was about to move from New York City to Los Angeles to make a movie. It was the first big film casting that I'd received. And here was a telephone call from my brother saying, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know what I'm doing? I'm packing to go to Los Angeles to make this movie. Are you sitting down? You need to know that mum's got three months to live. She has terminal cancer. So what I did was to let all of that action go and come back into the United Kingdom and nursed her for a year. And then she passed. And then it was a question of, oh, God, what do I do? And again, in the Wheel of Fortune turned and the telephone rang. And here was the RSC's leading voice director, whom I worked with um, in the early 70s saying, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just being this. And she said, oh, my God, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. So she said, well, why don't you come and teach for me? So my suddenly a huge door opened and the whole of my life shifted. Um, so I moved from working as an actor into working as a voice coach and being trained by Cicely Berry, the voice director of the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company, and uh, and then moving into British drama schools and beginning to work internationally with the great and the good, or the not so great and not so good, of the acting profession. At the same time, uh, I was asked if I would work with some of the leading politicians that were gaining prominence at that time, and one of them happened to be Margaret Thatcher. And so I helped her find her voice in those very early years of her premiership. So that's how it really, that's how it, that's how it started from a 3D point of view. What was carrying me was this absolute passion 
for the sound of the spoken word and it seemed that the more beautiful the words were you know going into the deep rich po poetic veins of our people uh, although many of those song lines appear to be uh, closing down at this time and maybe moving into a di different form of speech but at that time you know some of the great song lines were very very open to do with the poetic or literary heritage of our peoples and i just loved the way that words could be used as signals as sonic glyphs to create change and transformation in people's consciousness um and you know and then got involved very heavily in the pursuit of self-empowerment through our voices because as we all know the one thing that always reflects that we're nervous or fearful or disempowered is our voice so that's sort of how i got involved in the ritual and the richness and the liturgy in many ways of what theater was all about that you know the theater can be a transformative experience that allows the actor if they're willing to open their souls become shaman become almost like shenaki and stand on a stage moving you know inter interpretatively and significantly around that stage sharing a great story and as a result of that people's lives are changed at least that's the sort of theater that i've always been associated with to educate and inform the audience and Stuart, I know you were drawn to the sacred teachings of the Native American people as well. Can you tell me a little about this? Well, that really happened through a mystical experience because when I when I arrived in the United States of America for the first time in the early 70s, um, I felt a sense of freedom that I hadn't felt in Europe. And I, I, I guess this was very much to do with the the strictures, the social strictures that I was brought up in. Uh, because my parents were members of the royal household. My dad worked for the Queen, the Duke of Edinburgh. And um, so there was a great deal of, although my mother was a realist uh, and very grounded, um, that within the context of our family life, there was, a, there was quite a lot of form. And it seemed that I was very different from a lot of other people in the sense that I couldn't do what what my, what my what my teachers wanted me to do. So there was a great deal of insecurity. And so arriving in the United States of America, suddenly here was a great land of freedom. And I certainly felt freedom pulsing through every vein of my body. And, um, and so I really, you know, embarked on a journey of emancipation. And lo and behold, you know, as we often find when we go abroad as a young person, nobody knows you, you have no history. So you can be whomever you want to be, which means... Consequently, that we become utterly, fundamentally, whom we are. And there I was invited by a group of friends up into the northern area of New England, which is astonishingly beautiful in its natural landscape. And so I was eventually in the state of Maine, which is the northeasterly most state. And it was summertime. And uh, friends of mine said, we're going on a hike. And I'd never heard that expression before. So we went on a hike um, as the Americans would say, which was up a mountain called Mount Caribou. And when we got to the top of this mountain, this beautiful mountain, I mean, it wasn't very high, but, you know, it, I suppose we climbed for about three quarters of an hour. And uh, when I say climbed, I mean, we climbed a very pretty path that the, that the you know, the state rangers had created. And when we got to the top, it was summertime, so we all lay down, you know, took our T-shirts off to sunbathe. And I sort of went somewhere. I went deep into alpha, into a deep meditative state. And when I came round from this, about 15 or 20 minutes later, I sort of sat up and 
many of my friends seem to have gone off somewhere. I don't know where they've gone. They've gone to discover something, smoke cigarettes, whatever. We, we all seem to you know, embark on the liberation of smoking cigarettes and drinking um, excessive amounts of beer at that time. Anyway, um, they went off somewhere. And so I was left by myself. And as I sat up and noticed this, a breeze passed over my chest. And in the breeze, I heard what I what I believe I heard was a song. And the song was something like, and it was this just this short phrase of this very ancient melody that touched me very deeply inside. And consequently, I burst into tears, feeling that I was being called, feeling that I was being called by ancestors that were singing to me through from the spirit world, singing through song lines. Now, you could say that was pure fancy, but, you know, how do we register the, this, the, the, these supernatural phenomenon in our consciousness? Through a very, very deep knowing. Um, some people may call it fancy. I personally feel that something very enriching and something very liberating and immensely wise was speaking to me at that time. So that's where I sort of discovered my my roots. And then... I suppose it must have been about 20 years later, I was in New Mexico visiting friends and uh, met a Native American shaman whom I worked with on and off for about three years. And he taught me the ways of the people. He was one of the Tiwa, the tribe of the Tiwa in New Mexico. There are three principal tribes, the Tiwa, the Hopi and the Navajo. And they refer to themselves as being Anasazi peoples. Anasazi means they who came from the skies. So they feel that they have a spiritual ancestry, not of this planet. It has been of this planet for many hundreds of years. But they feel they feel very definitely within their whole psychophysical mechanism that they came from other planets to populate this extraordinary planet of biological diversity. Um, to take part in the cosmic experiment that this dance of life is. So I worked with Beautiful Painted Arrow for about three years. He, he taught me, he was, he was a sound shaman, so he taught me the sound mechanism of his people. Not all of the secrets, but some that I could then take on in great faith and great truth and great integrity um, to utilize in the, the, the breadth of what I've created over, over the years. And how does voice coaching actually work? It's an experience. It doesn't really work. It's, it's an experience. Um, you see, sound is at the core of creation. So having just mentioned this, this Native American gentleman, this, that um, you know, the core of Native America is the rite of singing, the ritual of singing, of singing to celebrate prayerfulness, at the beginning of the day and at the close of day and throughout the day when very remarkable moments need to be hallowed there is singing or there is chanting or there is speaking and so our voices are used to uplift our spirit our voices are sound mechanisms deep within us that uh, are quintessentially uh, highly significant i mean for example that we each each of us each of us have a signature note that is not shared by any other human being. And apparently there are seven and a half billion people living on this planet at the moment. But not one of those people have the note or the resonance, the tone that we have. So when we look into our, our um, fingerprint, 
or our blood or our um, you know um, vaginal fluids or seminal fluids when we look into our, our voices these are very remarkable blueprints of the quality of our humanness and the way that uh, another extra dimensional energy interchanges with our humanness as animal beings and so sound in many ancient cultures was used through the voice to evoke to invoke very powerful connections with nature and with the overriding presence that is believed to be Wakantanka or God or Allah or may the force be with you or the Shina or the animating principle of the universe, the Anima Mundi or Chi or Ki or Pranayama, etc., 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 etc. You know, we each world culture, each world language has a way of being able to describe the immense significance of the way that when we use our voices in dedication to the divine, we open up trajectories of energy, we open up extraordinary supernal corridors of light that allow our humanness to be uplifted, allow our humanness to become infused with a very deep inspiration so that we feel the God, we feel the source, we feel the Holy Spirit, we feel whatever we like to call it, identifying us and therefore we feel significant, we feel safe, we feel secure, and we feel that we are part of a collective experience of intense enrichment. So, you know, sharing with you earlier about the excitement that I had about the way that words sound, I mean, you know this within your own great tradition, that there were bards that spoke extraordinary ballad poetry that were like these great prose poems that illustrated the ways of the people and historic events that took place, going all the way back to the ancient um, warlords, you know, going all the way back to the chieftains like Kukulun. Um There, there was, uh, you know, the, the, the Shenaki or the bards who stepped forward to speak of the wonders and the mysteries of the land and the water and the, the, the extraordinary trees and stones and how they can speak to us and share their spirit, enriching and enlivening the whole process of the way that we live our lives. Often, Stuart, a lot of people can block themselves from actually speaking their authentic voice. Why do you think that is? Well, because of fear. I mean, most people who lock their voices away are fearful of using their voices, often as a result of the fact that they have received very difficult behavioural interchanges from the people around them that have encouraged them to shut up. You see, when we speak, we reveal something of our interior. And if our interior life is constantly being plundered by criticism and judgment and fear-mongering conduct or physical violence, then we just shut up. Uh, It's called playing possum. We try to literally disappear which, of course, we don't effectively do until we, we, we get to a point where we move into that ritual of passing. Um, but we try to disappear. We try to literally become invisible. And one of the ways of doing this is by shutting our voices down. You see, our voices are purely physical means 
means. You know, a moment ago you asked me about, well, what is, you know, what is it to coach a voice? Our voice is a purely physical means that we use to communicate the way we think and the way we feel. That's it very mechanistically. But we also know that by listening to certain voices, we can feel enraptured. We can either laugh or we can cry. Obviously, it has a lot to do with what somebody is saying and do we relate to what they're saying. But it's also largely to do with the sound that conveys the message. That's the key thing. Because we know this when we're in the presence of great, great voices. There's a wonderful, you know, wonderful poem by the great American um, poet, which is called Vocalism, which has a, has, has a few lines that say things like, are you full-lunged and limber-lipped from long trial, from vigorous practice, from physique? Do you move in those broad lands as broad as they are? Come duly to the divine power to speak words. Oh, what is it in me that makes me tremble so at voices? Surely whoever speaks to me in the right voice, him or her I shall follow as the water follows the moon silently with fluid steps anywhere around the globe you know so we all we all hanker for great voices and so by working on the physiology of the voice by training someone to breathe very freely because you know for example going back to the last question that you asked me if we're fearful we stop breathing we try to make ourselves smaller by contracting the whole of our energy our physical energy and one of the things that we we close down is the flow of the breath so the first thing that needs to be awakened is life force the very first competent thing that we, we achieved as we shot out of our mother's birth canals was to breathe in. And of course, the last thing that we achieve is to breathe out and then we pass. So there's something very magical within the nature of the way that we use breath. And its breath, therefore, has been sanctified by all of our world cultures for millennia. Pranayama, chi, the force, the animating principle of the universe, all, all of these words mean or inspiration, inspirare, inspirazione, to breathe in is to inspire, to breathe out is to expire. Inspiration means of divine influence in Latin. So every time we breathe in, we're influenced by the divine. So if our, power, if our, if our breath is powerful, if it's free and expansive and alert, then automatically our voices follow suit because the physiology that we breathe into then affects change so that our throats open and it, it becomes easy to articulate. But at the same time, what it does is it brings us to a reckoning of our own power. Now, if you're feeling unpowerful, if you're feeling frightened, you can't do any of all of that. All of that. But if you're feeling a, be a beginning of inspiration, if you're feeling that you're moving through um, a social landscape, a physical landscape, or indeed a mental landscape that is presenting some level of revolution, some level of personal liberation, automatically our voices follow suit. Because the first thing we want to do is to share how remarkable the experience is. And then the next thing we want to do is to celebrate the freedoms that we're feeling. But if you're feeling the reverse of that, the converse of that, the antithesis of that, you just close down and become, um, you know, our voices become merely a whimper. And is there a link between voice coaching and mantras, Stuart? So what we're seeing is that mantra, a repetitive sound, particularly um, you know meaningful sound. So what we tend to do, whatever language we speak, is that we talk about meaningful sound as being syllable, because a syllable is a voice effort. That we have meaningful sound that also 
is enraptured by the sacred that moves sounds that move us to the very essence of what we human beings are about or into the essence of what we interpret the divine to be about and so the belief is that if those sounds are brought together into a collective and then are used in sanctified purpose once, twice, three times, maybe even four times a day, that the repetitive expression with our voices through the breath and the articulation of the, the speech muscles brings about change, allows us to feel that we are more aligned with that that we consider to be most true, most significant, and most quintessential about we human beings. So yeah, you see human beings from whatever culture we come from on the planet, the human beings have always, when they felt weak, moved into nature and have petitioned and praised and participated through their voices, um, trying to find some way of becoming more in communion with the Great Spirit or God. Uh, we petition, we pray, we praise, we sing, and we um, come together and do this. And because when we come together and do this, and we do this through synergy or through empathy, we feel that the action that we're committing ourselves to is, is empowered, is amplified, and becomes a greater resonance. We all experienced this when we, were, when we were children at school, and we got around a piano in an organized fashion and sang. I thank God for the songs that I sang as a child, although I didn't at that time know why I was singing them, but I can still remember lots of them, particularly those that were entranced by the Christian festivals of Easter and Christmas. Um, and then, of course, the other rituals that we go through, whether it be christenings or confirmation or, or weddings or, or funerals, these wonderful hymns or songs of praise that are very similar to what we refer to as being mantra. So all of it is completely entwined, yes. The Om is considered to be the prima mobile, is considered to be the syllable of God. So, you know, if you chant Om, you're using the calling card of God. If you chant Om, it means that your internal space and the external space changes, becomes quickened, becomes a radiating force that is sanctified or consecrated. Um, so people change within that. They become more instinctively and significantly part of their inner beings. They become more aware of a sense of personal power. They become transformed in the sense of the fact that it creates comfortable and relaxed energies within which heal us. Because as we all know, disease or dis-ease is created by profound tension within our bodies, physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually. We are holistic. So by using sound through, you know, breathe, chant, we can bring about vast change within our bodies. And if we're using mantra as a specific prayer or gift to the divine, we can also use certain syllables or certain vowel sounds that bring about change within our own physical body because we are spirit made flesh. So, yeah, it's very profound. As you know from the great legends and the great, um, the great traditions of your people in Ireland. Very much so. It goes back to the Druids, I think, isn't this? It goes way back, yes. Yeah. Probably Atlanteans. 
arriving on this wonderful island. My grandfather was an Irishman, and I remember every single, as a small child, every single Good Friday, he would have a standing in front of him. He actually moved from the Ireland, from, from Ireland to the mainland here and worked in the time where docks. This was my father's father. And every single Good Friday, I remember seeing him sipping his Jameson and smoking his pipe and asking us to sing. Now, seeing that, there is a green hill far away, and we would have to stand there and sing. <laughs> and he would, you know, he would clap in, in rapturous applause when we finished. Oh, these are very beautiful, very beautiful boys. Um, so, you know, he, he loved hearing these, these innocent children sing a favorite song, um, which again brings us, to, brings us together, doesn't it? You know, that's, what, that's what's so extraordinary, the sound, the mantra, the song. The, it brings us together so that we participate in a synergistic experience, which is very extraordinary for we human beings. You know, lamentably, we could say that today, because we're spending so much time individualizing ourselves through our cellular phones or tablets or laptops, that we're beginning to, you know, plugging into our iPods or whatever, we're beginning to isolate ourselves. So we're, we're ceasing to bring about that, the nature of collective speech or collective, collective um, song which for me is a great lamentation because I, I remember the joy and the liberation and the expectancy that was, uh, that was given to me um, or is still given to me as I work through these unique processes. Between voice coaching and sound healing, are they linked together? You know, if the voice is open, if we use certain sounds with the voice, then our interior landscape becomes healed. So, you know, the, 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 the work that I've created over the years is something called the alchemy of voice. And the, the reason why I use the term alchemy is because alchemy is very simply the transmutation of negative into positive, of turning, if you like, base metal into gold. Now, that's merely an analogy or a parable to suggest that baseness, negativity, the beast-like animal aspects of our being, when they become gross, can easily be transformed into something which is mightier, something which is more liberated, something that is more healthy, and something that is greater, so that we literally aspire into a different way of being. So, you know, for example, um, I was working with somebody only yesterday afternoon who has a frozen, frozen shoulder on the left side, and this frozen shoulder is giving her a great deal of pain and has been around for more than a year and she's seen chiropractors and osteopaths and she has regular massage which of course all of these practitioner values provide her with a certain amount of release but the pain won't go so what we were doing is going right into the very core of why she has as it were metastasized pain in her left shoulder and we discovered as we spoke about it that the injury or the pain came around um, when something very profound happened in her life when um, a very significant relationship finished and suddenly on her left side this was she um, felt the whole weight of the world become too heavy on her back you know the weight of the world her, all her essential responsibilities that she opens herself to very easily but at the same time had been shared between herself and her partner and the partner was a life partner who had been around for some time it wasn't just a quick fling so uh, automatically this pain had, as it were, become metastasized because she hadn't found a way of being able to express 
the agony of the the pain that she was experiencing from an emotional body point of view on his departure because he was the one that exacted the departure and indeed you know was um had found the mechanism of falling out of love with her and falling in love with another woman and so that was also a great pain and so we we began to deduce what this was all about and then as a result of that we were able to find the sound of the agony that she'd been holding in her body and transforming the agony or transmuting the agony into the release of what agony is all about, which, of course, is pure ecstasy. And something very profound happened in her body, that she began to feel lighter, that she began to feel more released, that she began to feel um, that pain was reducing in her shoulder. And I received an email from her this morning saying that she'd actually slept on her left shoulder. She'd woken early in the early hours of the morning and she was sleeping on her left side on the shoulder that she has not been able to sleep on for over a year because of the pain and that the pain had decreased and that she wanted to come and see me again to take it even further so that we know that within two or three sessions she could release it completely. So, you know, something miraculous takes place when we identify what the holding is what the point of transmutation is, that we turn fear into joy, we turn agony into ecstasy, we turn dis-ease into ease, we turn disillusionment into, into enchantment, etc., etc. Um, remarkable things take place. Now, I, I hasten to add that what I'm talking about is, um, is, an, is a complementary um, therapeutic approach and also needs to be warmly and contributively uh, held within the context of healing by working with um, allopathic medicine as well, which, of course, is what I mean by traditional medicine. So I'm not suggesting for one moment that we eschew, that we avoid uh, traditional allopathic medicine. What we're doing is simply looking into the nature of holism and how physically, emotionally, mentally and spiritually we are one being. And, you know, if we're, if we're not experiencing health... It, um, it means that we're experiencing discomfort and discomfort or the, you know, the need for healing is suggesting an absence of healing. And, you know, the, if we can bring ourselves to uh, literally adopt uh, a healing psychology, then automatically the space-time continuum shifts and healing comes forth to us through the meeting of a remarkable person or a synergistic or serendipitous uh, um, a conversation that we have with a colleague or a friend or a member of the family or maybe even simply a passerby that we're sitting next to on a bus who sees that we're in pain and says, well, have you ever thought about doing this? And suddenly there is the advantage of healing. So, yeah, so many, many ancient, um, ancient, you know, anciently wise people who have lived in our contemporary world have suggested that sound is the medicine of the future. And so we're seeing it more and more and more in allopathic medicine through the use of ultrasound, you know, very, very high frequency sounds that are used to rearrange tumor or rearrange growth within the body or indeed within the significance of prenatal medicine. We see sound waves being passed over the, the womb or the stomach of a pregnant mama and uh, through computer equipment we can actually see how, uh, as it were, sound is like an echolocation and gives us form so we can begin to see the unborn fetus within her 
and even to the point of being able to check malformation within the physiology of the of the child or any of the internal displacements that may happen as a result of you know organic imbalances or here we are talking about it in a very magical way or here we were i was talking about it in terms of how sounding together brings we people together because if anybody's <laughs> producing disharmonic sound in a situation that is in ostensibly to create harmony then automatically the person who's producing the disharmonic sound is let known by everybody else and so we move into this empathic coherence where we all begin to share as it were the one sound but being produced through our vocal instrument which is unique to us so i could go on and on and on about the mystical and um, you know the metaphysical and the physical advantages of the way that the sound is our voices are but they're intensely powerful mechanisms and tell me Stuart, like, what is the power of silence in your work mm. yeah thank you for reminding me well you know my my firm belief is that all sound arises out of silence and so one of the ravishing things that we experience when we finish um, a chant or um, a spiritual exposition that's spoken is to remain through a few moments of silence. And as a result of that, we feel an aligning of these powerful energies on a very different level of being. And it's so difficult today to find silence. I mean, I at least twice, maybe thrice a year, I go somewhere in the world where there is silence. Um, often that's a desert or the top of a mountain or I go into deep forest for a week or a few days and just be in silence and I don't speak for that time, which I always find very, very difficult because as you hear, I, I, I use my voice to share feelings and thoughts very readily. So it's often very difficult to please silence. But when we go into that silence, there is an amazing presence um, a presence of another level of consciousness, I believe that that is where God sits, you know, the still small voice in the calm. And so maybe stillness is at the core of creation, and I've been saying sound is at the core of creation, that what happens is that stillness, through its own innate intelligence, suddenly for some reason shifts and becomes sound. But actually, if we go beyond sound, we go back into stillness. You know, there was a there was a Lord Mayor of London in 1597 when Shakespeare's Globe first opened on the South Bank, just opposite St Paul's Cathedral, and he said that all speech is decorated silence. And um, that's a rather ravishing thought, isn't it? Because obviously, we're dealing with a culture, society then where noise was simply not a reality. That all the sounds that they heard were natural sounds. This is before the machines. There were no machines. So you would hear the natural sounds of the horses neighing or the sound of their hooves on beaten earth. You'd, sound, you'd hear the sound of the carriage or the cart moving by. The cries of the street vendors, the ringing of the bell. You know, they, they obviously didn't have watches at that time or use cellular devices. So presumably their whole lives were shaped 
around the ritual of tying, which was condoned by the church bell or by the, the town crier who would ring a bell and then speak news. What we do today is we switch on our tablets, go to our cell phones, open our laptops and watch internet news. It's slightly different, isn't it? Oh, does someone healing link in with chakras then, Stuart? Well, uh, the chakras are the biocomputers or the databases of our whole being. And so if our chakras are spinning in very aligned, alert and enlivened ways, it means that we're very healthy. Um, I believe that you know healing is a movement back to wholeness, you see, that we, we work holistically. If we're experiencing disharmony, disenchantment or dis-ease, then our bodies are not producing the health-producing energies that we feel when we're healthy and therefore joyous and free and loving and, and rich with empathy. We feel corrupted inside, we feel lonely, we feel fearful, we feel in pain, we feel disoriented. And so by using certain sounds that are aligned with the, you know, tones that are aligned with the physiology of our bodies, we can bring the chakras back into alignment. So for example, in the dense body, there are seven chakras. There's one in the base of the spine, one in the sacral area, one in the stomach, the solar plexus, one in the heart, one in the throat, one in the vestigial third eye, in the forehead, and one uh, just, just without the body, um, just called the crown chakra, just above the top of the head. These seven basic chakras. And they each have a very specific effect on the development of our experience as human beings. And so, you know, if we take the heart chakra, because my, my firm belief is that the signature note that I was talking about earlier in our voices, uh, the song of our soul, arises out of that part of our bodies, arises from the heart, heart chakra. The heart chakra vowel that um, the ancient ones have given me is R, the most open vowel. Ha. And if you sound that ha, H-A-H, ha, through the heart, and imagine that the green, the brilliant green, emerald greenness of that chakra is spinning, automatically you will feel the whole of your body start to change, to vibrate, to maneuver itself, to feel rhythmically what it is to be in alignment with heart virtues. So you feel something emotionally and feel, one feels something physiologically. Um, so that gives you a small, a small token of that. So if anybody's interested in this, you know, all you have to do is to go to www.thealchemyofvoice.com and click on the store page and you'll see that there are lots and lots of recordings that I've made over the years, that are sonic meditations, that are ways of becoming more powerful within our interior by using using um, chakra opening vowel sounds. And so the CDs or the MP3s are conducted tours by myself to allow people to feel a way of being able to maneuver themselves through using the breath, using the sound, and feeling certain properties that can be released.
proceed sounds then, Stuart? There are certain sounds. You know, we were dealing with one in the form of om. We dealt with another in the form of ah. These are seed sounds. So, in other words, they're, um, they're, they're sound syllables or sound glyphs that go to the very core, to the very, the very seed, the very kernel of what sound can, what purpose sound can be, can be, you know, can be brought about within the human body. What area you think would be of most benefit with sound healing? The first thing is, are we breathing? And the majority of people don't know how to breathe, even though we're breathing to keep ourselves alive all the time. So that seems to me to be somewhat shocking. And so what we need to do, I believe, whether it's through yoga or going into sound healership, is to find a way of breathing. And there's a secret in this, which I can impart, that I've discovered over the last 50-odd years. And that is that um, there's a tremendous amount of information around about breath today because many of us are living very stressful lives. And as a result of that, we're holding on to our breath or we're not breathing deeply. We're breathing in a very shallow way, etc., etc. And so, you know, doctors, physicians or um, therapists are saying what you need to do is to learn how to breathe. Start breathing into your stomach. Now, there's nothing wrong with breathing into our stomachs, but it's only one part of a two part whole. And what I've discovered over the years is that if we're just breathing into our stomachs and we're using our voices for, on very extended or energetic, you know, very athletic, in very athletic pursuits, that it often puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the voice box, on the larynx. But if we're actually breathing wide and then deep, we're opening up the whole of the ribcage, not by lifting the chest, but by widening the chest open, um, particularly through the back ribs, then automatically the diaphragm lowers, so the breath becomes deep within the belly. And we have a huge amount of support to sustain whatever we wish to do, whether it's speaking or chanting or singing or toning or you know whatever activity we're involved in. Maybe we're using an instrument such as a, um, a, 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 um, a flute or um, a didgeridoo or we're overtoning. You know, whatever, whatever the pursuit is. And so breath is obviously quintessential. So learning how to breathe and then learning how to open the chakra um, and also close them down through using vowel sound um, or, you know, by using cer certain seed syllables can be immensely effective. And again, what I would recommend to anybody who's interested in this, that, you know, go straight to my book, The Alchemy of Voice, um, or indeed go to the website, thealchemyofvoice.com, www. And there is a plethora of information about um, certain books or recordings or ways of being where sound can evoke very powerful changes of presence within our beings as, um, as, human, as human significant uh, vessels. I keep thinking of one particular recording, actually, which may be a lot of people would find useful, which is called initiation. And it's literally opening up the seven chakras that we've been talking about through sound. So this is a recording of my voice taking everybody through a sonic meditation where they can feel each chakra opening through sound. And then once we've opened, what we do with it, we, because once we open each of these chakras, we feel ourselves um, much more aligned. We feel ourselves literally dripping with power. And so then it's a question of what do we do with that? And so on, in the court recording, there are 
a number of strategies or indeed devices of what we can do to express the uniqueness of what our power feels itself to be about. How can a person get that recording, Stuart? By going to the website. You know, you, all you do is click on the store page and then you'll see CDs or MP3s. And if you click on initiation, it'll lead you through to iTunes or another, you know, hosting property where you can download. So within two clicks, you can download very inexpensively um, a remarkable CD. But, you know, you may be drawn to other CDs. There are a number on the um, website. There's one particular recording which is used internationally by many therapists, which is called an angelic Om healing, which is my voice chanting the Om. And so, Mikhail, you know, it may be it may, it may be significant for you to surround this broadcast with a little bit with a little taste of that, just by downloading it and using it. Um, it's just a continuous Om surrounded by other beautiful music, and you know, people send me emails saying that it's cured their migraines, it's it's um, alleviated. Uh, from impotency, you know, whether that be to do with um, fear of moving forward in the world or literally we can't make a baby. Um, it's it, oh, so many people have suggested that it's provided them with profound healing. So there's evidently something very magical within the, the you know, recordings like this. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, there's anything special about what I'm doing. I'm just simply suggesting that if we all engage in this, we become part of a very special experience. And Stuart, does sound healing work at the cellular level or is there a bit more to it than that? Of course. All you need to do is to look into cymatics, which is the science of sound waves. You know, cymatics is from the Greek cyma, which means wave formation. And you can see early experiments that were done. I mean, all you have to do is click on to YouTube and type in cymatics, C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S, and you'll see, you know, all sorts of extraordinary experiments that physicists have, have created by, you know, for example, placing iron filings or sand or salt or, or indeed viscous liquids onto a metal sheet and then introducing sound vibration. And it's extraordinary how the mess of the salt or the mess of the viscous liquid then suddenly turns into the most amazing harmonic patterns. And then to extrapolate on that, on a deep cellular level, you can just imagine if we're producing harmonic sound deep within our bodies, our cells are literally congregating into these harmonic forms. So there is a great, a great belief that our physical, our entire physical being, which of course is made up of cellular interaction, a cellular orchestration, which is completely in connect connection with the divine spheres that exist beyond this particular planet, meaning the planets that actually we are surrounded by, that each planet has its own sound. Go on YouTube, you can hear the sound of Mars, you can hear the sound of planet Earth. Now what we're hearing is a congregate, aren't we? We're hearing... Um, a collegiate sound, a synergistic sound that arises out of one simple pitch, one note, but then becomes amplified or resonated into a very unique harmonic degree. This is what I mean about our own sound. So, yeah, I mean, you know, sound is happening on the outside of us and sound is happening on a very, very deep level, going right into the subatomic particles of ourselves. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the beginning of a huge, huge um, experience of the sacred purpose of sound and how that interfaces with the, the physical aspect of, of, of our nature. 
would you have any tips for our listeners on how they could incorporate the benefits of sound healing in their life? Uh, the greatest yeah. tip that I would suggest is, in your own experience, go further and uh, you know really move into, for example, acquire the book The Alchemy of Voice or any of the other books that are around about sound healership. Jonathan Goldman is the president of the Sound Healers Association in America, and he wrote a wonderful, wonderful book called Healing Sounds. Um, whomever it may be, you know, look into it and download some recordings. You'll be quite fascinated to see what happens when you click into your cursor, Sound Healing, um, and you'll see immense amounts of information will pour into your own visual and oral culture from the Internet. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a list that goes on and on and on. It's a huge mind minefield of exciting possibilities. The, your website again, if people want to find out more about your work. It's www.thealchemyofvoice.com. It's been great chatting with you today. Thank sure, you so much. It. It's been wonderful. And for all those people who, who are listening in, I send you lots and lots and lots of great greetings of love and freedom and liberation. And may your lives be full of exquisite sounds. Great, Stuart. Thank you so much. You take care. Same to you, you know. Bye-bye.